From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. I'm Sam Brash. Okay, some exciting news from us to start things off. You're seeing this in your podcast feed because Purplish is back. We're starting out with this bonus episode, and we'll have new episodes once a month throughout the legislative session. The plan is to cover the Capitol just like we covered the election. We'll look at how lawmaking really works and do our best to explain what different policies mean for you, the listener. More on all of that soon, I promise. But for this episode, we want to talk about someone who's moving on from Colorado politics. After eight years as governor, John Hickenlooper's final term is at an end. And there are some signs that he's about to run for president. Just a few. The Democrat has a political action committee. He's reportedly hired pollsters and national fundraisers. And he's crisscrossing the country, making stops in states like New Hampshire and Iowa. I can't express it's just a great honor to be here. And my father's cousin, my father's Our public affairs reporter, Benta Berkland, recently followed Hickenlooper to the Hawkeye State to get a glimpse of what he might look like as a national candidate. And Benta, I asked you to come into the studio to talk about something you heard from him out there. I really wanted to know about his legacy here as the governor of Colorado for eight years. You know, he's potentially entering a very competitive Democratic primary field. And I wanted to know what he could point to as a moment when he took a tough stance in Colorado. We've taken a pretty strong stand on many, many issues, right? We went for universal background checks and we got it passed. We went for uh, smaller capacity magazines and we got that passed. Those are difficult issues in a state like Colorado. We took a stand. Gun control. That's what Hickenlooper means is that he took a stand on gun control. Did it surprise you that that was what he singled out? In some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. He did sign a package of gun control bills. And that's a risky political thing to do in a purple state like Colorado. But at the same time, as those measures were moving through the legislature, he wasn't the public face of the issue. And so I think how those measures passed just says a lot about Hickenlooper as a leader, as a governor, and as a potential president. Okay, so as Hickenlooper steps onto the national stage, a look back at one of his toughest moments as Colorado's governor. He led a purple state as it beat back the gun lobby and passed new limits on firearms. But what did he actually do, or not do, to make it happen? Okay, cool. So where do you want to start this story? I really think you have to go back to the summer of 2012. That was the year the Aurora theater shooting happened. It's an assault rifle. We have, we have a magazine down inside. So we go watch out for the assault rifle. 12 people murdered, more than 70 injured. And after that tragedy, Hickenlooper saw his role as the mourner in chief. Uh, I visited several of the families in the hospital, and we are already, as a community, beginning to come together. He was focusing on the victims, talking to families, attending funerals. We're not going to let this community be defined by such a, (laughs) you know, if I had more sleep, I might have a better vocabulary. And gun control wasn't really on the table at this point for Hickenlooper. In fact, a a couple days after the shooting, he was asked about it and said, look, even if you took away all guns, James Holmes still would have found a way to create terror. 
this guy's going to find something, right? He's going to know how to create a bomb. How did that change? The November election, that's what happened. Colorado politics and Democrats ended up with complete control of the legislature. And that meant gun control actually had a chance of passing. A few weeks after that election, Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper now saying state lawmakers should consider gun control measures when they reconvene next month. Hickenlooper talked to some reporters and said, look, I think it's time for us to tackle this issue. He didn't outline specific policies, but it was the most significant thing he'd said on it. And then the very next day, Sandy Hook happened. This morning, the Sandy Hook Elementary School was full of kids concerned about Christmas. And then All of us need to demand governors and legislators and businesses do their part to make our communities safer. It galvanized Democratic state lawmakers who told me before Sandy Hook, they weren't planning on focusing on gun control bills or trying to push that through the legislature. And then it also put more eyes on Hickenlooper as the leader of the state. You know, people were waiting to see if he'd embrace his party's ideas or if he'd try to tack to the middle like he does on a lot of issues. Um, and so we were going into his State of the State address. It is my pleasure and my honor to present to you the Honorable John Hickenlooper, Governor of the State of Colorado. Members of the press corps, the public, were waiting to see when he was going to bring this issue up in his speech, if he was going to bring it up. And there are no easy solutions here. Some point to guns, other to a violent culture. And how strong of a stand he might take. We shouldn't be restrained from discussing any of these issues. He did deliver one line that was really big for Democrats. Let me prime the pump. Why don't we have universal background checks for all gun sales? They clapped and gave him a standing ovation. Republicans sat on their hands, did not clap. It's worth noting that the policy Hickenlooper did highlight, the universal background checks, was one of the less controversial measures that Democrats were supporting. What were they talking about that was more controversial or seemed more controversial at the time? They unveiled a whole package of bills at a press conference. This sickness of violence is spreading through America like a plague. And the plans included the background checks and also this proposal for a ban on high-capacity magazines like the ones that have been used in Aurora. So high-capacity magazines, for those who don't know, are attachments that hold more than the standard number of rounds. Was Hickenlooper there when these bills were unveiled? He wasn't there. Uh, what's interesting, though, is this whole unveiling of bills happened right outside of his office. So if he was actually sitting at his desk, you probably could have heard it. Right. OK. But even if he wasn't out there publicly talking about these bills and advocating for gun control, I imagine with something this controversial and important, he was probably involved behind the scenes. Definitely. And that's to be expected with any governor on, on something like this, that they would be talking to folks, talking to definitely his party leaders. We didn't want to get to a place where we were voting on bills that the governor wouldn't sign. This is Mark Ferrandino, and he was the Democratic House Speaker. As the bills moved forward, we were talking with him, trying to get his gauge on what is the right thing. He says people can overlook this part of Hickenlooper's influence because it's not public. One of the criticisms sometimes of the governor was he wasn't engaged in lots of different policy areas. But I will tell you, on the big policy areas, the ones that were consequential, he definitely was very involved and we knew where he was. So he was clearly talking to Democrats at the time, giving them his opinion on these bills. 
is he the sort of governor who is also talking to Republicans about this stuff because he didn't need their votes on this legislation? <laughs> yes, Republicans say they were meeting with him frequently about <laughs> this, and they say they really felt listened to, but in the end, there just wasn't a way to bridge these huge differences. And I appreciate the fact that he would try to bring people across that, but a lot of times it just didn't work. This is Jesse Mallory. He was the Senate Republican chief of staff. Overall, Jesse said he likes Hickenlooper, he thinks he's funny, sincere, but also thinks Hickenlooper tries to please everyone and it can backfire and just infuriate people. People really want someone who's going to make a decision, right or wrong, and pursue a path and not do this kind of, well, gosh, shucks, maybe we'll bring some people together. And Jesse said you can't get agreement on some things and it just creates false hope. Okay, so he was talking about these bills in private. Did he ever come out and advocate for them in public? Not a lot. No, he wasn't talking about them much. When he did, it was in a way that he talks about a lot of issues. He's much more comfortable giving arguments pro and con. The magazine issue, I mean, I've gone back and forth on We haven't taken a specific position on that on that bill yet. This is tape of Hickenlooper answering a reporter's questions after an event. It's a tough issue. I mean, how many lives do you save? And, and how real is the inconvenience to people that want to have a, a larger capacity magazine and feel that it's essential for defending their house? Now, of course, he eventually did take a position because he signed the bills. We have signed today, make our, our state safer in the long run and allow us to begin to address some of these issues head on. Right away, it was clear that Democrats had kicked the hornet's nest, so to speak. Dudley Brown was there that day, and he leads Rocky Mountain gun owners, probably the most powerful pro-Second Amendment group in the state. Democrats here have just handed our organization a sledgehammer, and we get to walk through their china shop for the 2014 elections and destroy this Democrat party. And I know Second Amendment groups made good on that threat and recalled Democratic state lawmakers over these bills. After Hickenlooper signed them, did he try to defend the policies and, and the people who had pushed them across the finish line? No, no, not at all. In fact, just a few months later, a tape actually showed up of Hickenlooper talking to a group of Colorado sheriffs. The audio here isn't very good because someone was recording it without Hickenlooper knowing about it. But in it, you can hear Hickenlooper apologizing for not being more open and collaborative with the sheriffs. Almost a month to get the facts. By that time, I pissed you guys off. I. And he said he and his staff just had no idea that these proposals would actually reach his desk. To be honest, no one in our office thought we'd get through the legislature. Okay, wow. Um, how did people respond to Hickenlooper saying that? A lot of people were mad. Democrats were facing recall elections for passing these bills. Their jobs were on the line. Gun control lobbyist Anne-Marie Jensen describes her reaction. It was disappointing. The governor or whoever our elected officials are, are not just policy leaders, but they're culture change leaders. And I think it's a role our leaders should be in. They help us to see things differently. And I don't think Hickenlooper liked doing that. Of course, it didn't help with opponents. You know, it didn't make them any happier about these new laws. Right, I'm sure, because they'd already been signed. It was already done. So how did we get from that point uh, five years ago where Hickenlooper was almost apologizing for this legislation to your conversation with him in Iowa a few months ago where he said he took a stand on gun control. 
it's a different political moment. We have to remember that he was just a year out from trying to get reelected to his second term in office. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to now, he's considering running for president. And since the Aurora Theater shooting in Sandy Hook, we've had more and more mass shootings. And this is still part of the national dialogue. And having passed gun control is probably an advantage in a Democratic primary. All right. So the big question we're trying to get at with all this, what does this say about his leadership? I think what's interesting is, you know, when I ask people, you know, what does this tell the country about Hickenlooper, they all had a similar perspective on his leadership style across the political spectrum. They all agreed he listens to people. He tries to find compromise. His style is to get people in a room to hash things out. But sometimes that can frustrate people he's working with. Mark Waller was the Republican House leader during the gun debate, and he says he always wanted Hickenlooper to be more out front on issues. Sure, the, le- the legislature doesn't want to be told what to do. I think that's different than the legislature being led where they need to go. So he says sometimes a governor needs to have a vision, but others say Hickenlooper's cautious style can really work. Former Senate President John Morris, a Democrat, he was recalled over those gun bills. He thinks Hickenlooper is thoughtful and nuanced. John Hickenlooper's greatest strength is his absolute commitment to bring people from every viewpoint together to try to address a problem. But I wonder what this strategy might say about Hickenlooper as people are considering him not as a governor, but as a president. If Hickenlooper does run for president, people should understand they're not electing a partisan firebrand. He's not interested in scoring political points just for the sake of it or trying to make his opposition look bad. He won't cut off dialogue with people he disagrees with. You know, as he likes to say, there's no political upside in making enemies. But on the flip side, he's not comfortable being out front on major cultural issues or really divisive topics. If he is president, a lot of things would come his way that he's never had to deal with as Colorado governor. And I think, you know, he'd probably be happy to go back to a time where he's, you know, debating about signing these gun bills. Okay, Vinta, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, that's it for this bonus episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about becoming a member or join today at CPR.org. This episode was written, produced, and edited by myself, Benta Berkland, and Megan Verlee. We had audio production help from John Pino. Our music was by Brad Turner with additional music from Poddington Bear. And keep an eye on this podcast feed because it's where we're going to be telling you more about our plans for the legislative session. It gets going really soon, and I can already promise that there will be drama, there will be heartbreak, and there will be some politics in there too. Until then, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.